It's a dangerous business, Frodo, going out your door. You step onto the road, and if you don't keep your feet, there's no knowing where you'll be swept off to. That's what Gandalf the Grey told Frodo Baggins at the beginning of their adventure. Have you ever felt like life is like that road? Like you've been swept away, you don't know where you're going, you don't know where to put your feet to hold on? Well, that's what we're here for today. We're here to talk about the Wildwood, where all the crazy things happen, where all the wild stuff happens, and you just don't know which direction to go. Today, I'm going to bring you some words from the Wildwood that'll help you keep your feet. Happy New Year, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. We have now finished four years on the air. Four years of bringing God's Word, hopefully in an understandable way, to people all over the world. And I just want to praise God for the opportunity to do that. And I'm looking forward to 2024, one more year to preach the gospel. You know, the best part of every New Year's Eve is the party situation. All the parties, the celebrations, maybe going to mom and dad's house, going to your brother's or sister's house, maybe just hanging out with friends. Maybe we can't all go to uh, Times Square in New York and see the big ball drop, but wherever we are, we can stop and give God thanks. Thanks for all the things that happened last year, and thanks for all the things that we hope are going to happen in the new year. You know, it is a time to let go of the past, let go of the disappointments, the hurts, all of those things, and look forward to what God has ahead of us. But when we do that, it fills us with anticipation and maybe even a bit of trepidation. We don't know what tomorrow holds, but we know who holds tomorrow. So we look ahead with maybe a little bit of fear. The world's an uncertain place. But you know what? Every New Year's celebration presents us with new expectations, but not just new expectations, new resolutions. Everybody wants to make those New Year's resolutions. They're going to do this. They're going to do this. But I tell you, the only resolution we should really make with all sincerity is to keep seeking what God is doing in our lives. You know, these expectations and resolutions lead us to three invitations that we find tonight in our scripture. We are in John chapter 1, beginning in verse 35. Here there are three invitations that Jesus issues, invitations that if you take them seriously, will change your life. Let's go and see what's happening. The first invitation we find is in John chapter 1, verse 35. Come and see. This is a beautiful one because as we go into a brand new year, We should come with expectation to see what God will show us. Let's read it. John 1, 35. The next day, John the Baptist was standing with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus pass by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and noticed them following him, he asked them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Now here's that first invitation. Jesus looks at these two men, these two men who have been following his cousin, John the baptizer, and he says, come and you will see. An amazing invitation that Jesus extends to every person in the world today because it is the invitation that begins our walk with the Lord of glory. 
Come and, come and you will see, he replied. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. Imagine that, being a disciple of John the Baptizer, learning about the need for repentance, the need to prepare yourself because the Messiah is coming. He is coming. And that's what John was telling them. And then John points out and says, look, there's the Lamb of God. There's the one who takes away the sin of the world. The one I've been telling you about, the one I've been preparing you for. My friends, we live in a day and age when the second coming of Jesus is closer than it's ever been. We know that one day very soon we will hear the voice of Jesus the Christ call from on heaven with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of a trumpet, and he will say, come up here, come home, my people. It's time to come and be with me. We know that day is coming and we want to be ready, but until that day comes, we want to be busy about the work of the kingdom. If you are a Christian, I invite you every day, come and see what God is doing. But if you are not a Christian, if you are a person who is doubtful or you have questions, come and see. Encounter Jesus here in the book of John, but also Matthew, Mark, and Luke. See who he reveals himself to be, and you will know that he is the one anointed by God to come and save the world. We can see a very good example of what's happening here in Matthew 23, 8. Now, when Jesus is going to send out the disciples, he wants to give them an attitude check. He says, but you are not to be called rabbi. Now, that is what they've just addressed Jesus as, rabbi. The text says, which means teacher. But actually, a very a more accurate uh, description would be great one. Great one meaning a great teacher, a great leader, one who brings instruction. So they actually say to, to Jesus, great one, where are you staying? And here Jesus says, don't let somebody call you rabbi. Don't let them call you great. He says, for you have one teacher, that's Jesus the Christ, and you are all brothers. Now Jesus accepted the title of rabbi because he was the rabbi. He was the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed of God. But he did not want his disciples to take that kind of mantle upon themselves. Jesus could see in his day and age that the Pharisees and Sadducees, they loved titles. They loved to wear special robes. They loved to receive special attention. It often led to an inflated sense of ego, an inflated sense of self-worth. And we have people in our world today who have titles pastor, apostle, deacon, positions of service that have been elevated to positions of power. I spent 30 years as a pastor, and it was a great privilege to serve in that role. But when you serve as a pastor, you know one thing, you are nothing, and Jesus is everything. See, now the only way to know Jesus Christ is to follow him day by day. Many of the great pastors that I have followed throughout my life who have passed away in the last few years, they would tell you again and again, you need to encounter Jesus Christ face-to-face -face, daily. See who he is. See what he is doing. See his works in the scripture because he was showing us the heart of God. And by seeing the heart of Jesus, we know where our heart needs to be also. This, this call to come and see will be repeated throughout this gospel especially, but throughout the entire New Testament as well. So I ask you every day when you wake, come and see 
what God is doing in your community, in your church, even in your home. Let's go on to this second call, this second invitation. The second invitation is this, follow me. John 1.40 says this, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John and followed him. The first found his own brother, Simon, and told him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. One is in Hebrew, the other is in, er- is other in Greek, and they both mean the anointed one, the one who is anointed by God to do a great work. It says, And he brought Simon to Jesus. When Jesus saw him, he said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is an Aramaic term. It means Um, which is translated Peter, but it actually means a stone, a stone, a rock. Now, there are other words, such as uh, the words for boulder or mountain, that were huger, but the foundational one is always Peter, Petros, rock. And that's how Peter would be known throughout his life and throughout his ministry in the early years of the Christian uh, movement. He would be known as Peter the Rock. Verse 43 says this, The next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. He found Philip and told him, Follow me. There's our phrase. Follow me. We don't know what Philip was doing. We don't know how important Philip was. We don't know uh, what many things he had going on. But he looked at Philip, who had encountered Jesus, who had encountered uh, his claims to be the Messiah, and he says, Follow me. Now, why didn't he just say, believe in me? Why didn't he just say, trust me? Because he wanted a deeper level of commitment from Philip. And I believe the scriptures will bear out when God calls someone to Jesus Christ. When Christ says, follow me, he is calling you to an intimate, continuing, ongoing walk. Not like this Sunday, and then you can do whatever you want to, and then I'll see you next Sunday, and then you can take off and do whatever you want to. No, the the call to follow me is an ongoing call. It's every single day, sun up to sun down. It is all the time, no holidays, no vacations. Somebody once asked me, uh, when do we get to take time off from church? And I said, we never take time off from church because we are the church. We are ourselves. We are the ones who seek Christ. We don't take time away from our own identity. We know who we are, and that's what we do. So it says he found Philip and told him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the hometown of Andrew and Peter. So those two brothers knew Philip. Now, Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law. And so did the prophets. Jesus, the son of Joseph, from Nazareth. But then, of course, Nathaniel, being very skeptical, said, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Nathaniel asked him, Come and see, is what Philip answered. Interesting. What Jesus had said, Come and see, is exactly how Philip answered. Come and see. Why is that? Because if someone hears the story of somebody else, hears about someone's greatness, hears about someone's wisdom, hears about someone's miraculous actions, it does have an effect on you. But when you go personally, turn your attention, focus and sharpen your gaze onto a person, then you can see clearly who they are, what they are doing, and what they are all about. And that is exactly what Philip said to Nathaniel. Come on, 
come and see this one that we have found because we know he is the one that Moses wrote about. He is the Messiah. And it's interesting because, you know, when we go back up in this passage, it says that uh, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who, who heard what John the Baptist said about Jesus, and he's one of the ones that followed. Do you know who the other one was? Number two went behind him. We believe, and I have read this in a number of uh, good, well-documented commentaries, that the second one was John. John the Apostle. John the Young Man. John the one who writes this gospel. How else would he have known what happened that day when John the Baptizer points out Jesus as the Lamb of God, the one who takes away the sin of the world, and only two men followed after him? Andrew was one. John is the other. So we're going to get a very unique perspective of Jesus as we go through the book of John. We're going to see him as John saw him, as John saw the Christ reveal himself um, over the times and the years that they spent together. I think that's pretty amazing when you think about it. Now, when I, when I look at this and he says, um, you know, Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth, wait, could any good thing come out of Nazareth? This is kind of strange. You see, there was a bias in that time because the, the northern kingdom had been taken over uh, by the Assyrian Empire and they had been infused, they had been inundated with other people groups, other religions, other people that worshipped other gods, false gods. Um, even a false version of Judaism existed in the north. So many people from the north were seen as somehow inferior. They were seen somehow as being deluded, uh, not delusional, but deluded in terms of their ethnic purity. And that was the bias of the time, but there should have been no bias. They should not have been shocked that the Messiah would come from Nazareth. Why? Isaiah 9, 1 and 2, often quoted at Christmas time, often quoted at Christmas time. And there's a reason. Isaiah 9, 1 and 2. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish, past tense. In the former times, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made more glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan. And here it is, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them the light has shone. You see, this is what Isaiah said hundreds of years before the coming of Jesus. He said, okay, those poor people up there in that northern kingdom that were taken away, Galilee of the nations, signifying that they had been deluded and spread throughout these other nations and they had lost their their particular identity as God's people. That's how they felt about it. And it said that they were in darkness and they needed to see the light and a great light had come. And the great light was the light of Jesus Christ, who was born in Bethlehem. Yes, we know that. But he went back after the Egyptian sojourn and settled in Nazareth. And that was important because it brought the focus of what God was doing right here among these perceived pagan people who did not know who God was yet to them, the Son of God would come and reveal the glory and the mercy of Almighty God. Let's move on. The third invitation that we see, the very third point, you need to embrace me. 
Embrace me is what Jesus was going to say to them because it's not enough to know in your head facts about Jesus. You have to know Jesus. And that word know indicates an intimacy, an intimate knowledge, not just facts, but knowing the person, knowing their heart, knowing their mind and their thinking. John 1, 47 says this, Then Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said about him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Aha! It's an amazing statement considering that many people of the day were considered two-faced, that they had a public face and they had a private face. But Jesus is saying, no, here's an Israelite who is completely honest about who he is and what he believes. And it shocked Nathaniel. How do you know me, Nathaniel said? Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now, what does that mean? We believe, uh, based on uh, things that we have read and some uh, commentaries from very, very early on, like the first century, that that is where he went to pray. That this fig tree was a place that Nathaniel came and he would kneel down, he would pray, meditate on God's word, and this is where he would be alone with God. Nobody could have known what Nathaniel was doing. He went off by himself, did not allow himself to be seen or, or studied. He was under that fig tree in prayer. And Jesus said, I saw you. I saw who you truly were. I saw your heart. I saw your prayers. I knew everything about you when I saw you under that tree. And then verse 49 says this, Rabbi, great one, teacher, Nathaniel replied, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel, two titles that belonged exclusively to the Messiah. Jesus responded to him, Do you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than this. And he said, Truly I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. An amazing statement, and we're going to dive into that very quickly. But I want you to understand, Nathaniel was ready for the Messiah. He was ready to see the truth. He simply needed something that would shake him to wake him, shake him to his core, to reveal to him inside his own soul, his own heart, that this was the Messiah. And as soon as he heard the words of Jesus, he knew the truth. Remember now, just like Paul would say later, I plant Apollos waters, but who reaps the harvest? Who brings people to a realization of who Jesus truly is? The Holy Spirit. My friends, you will never ever hear me say, I have saved this many people or that many people, or we have this many saved. The truth is, I am but a seed planter and a waterer. That's all I can do within God's justice, within God's mercy. It is the Holy Spirit that takes Whatever work we do, whatever seed we plant, whatever water we give, he takes it and he brings to salvation that person who is willing to recognize Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I think it's absolutely amazing that this happened. And when he says, truly, I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. He is doing nothing more than referring right back to the first book of the Torah, the first book of the law, to the fathers of Israel. Genesis 28 
10 through 17. Listen and you will see what I mean. Jacob left Beersheba and he went. He went toward Haran and he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. It was dangerous to travel at night. You couldn't see well. Thieves could take you and you wouldn't even see them before they were on you. So it was night. Okay, taking one of the stones in that place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached up into the heavens. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on that ladder. Everyone's heard of Jacob's ladder. This is where it comes from. This is the vision that God had given him. And behold, Yahweh stood above the ladder and said, I am Yahweh, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south, and in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go, and will bring you back to this land. See, he's already talking about the times when they sinned, and God would take them away to judge them, and he would bring them back again to that land, because it was going to be their place. For I will not leave you until I have done that which I promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely, Yahweh is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome. The word awesome literally means to be filled with awe or filled with terror. He suddenly realized exactly where he was. How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Now this place where he took this stone, where he took his nap, later would be called Bethel. We know the city of Bethel, but the, the city of Bethel literally means the house of God. Beth, house, El, God. And um, it becomes that significant place where Jacob, soon to be Israel, would find his connection, his intimate connection with the God who had called Abraham and Isaac and now was calling him, now had promised him that his offspring would take over the would take over the earth and would have this dominion that that God had promised to Abraham. I think it's phenomenal. And if you think about what this means, what these promises are, and you go back and go, you will see the Son of Man, and heaven opened, and the angels descending and ascending on him, meaning he is now the house of God on earth. He is the place where God walks the earth. He was showing him exactly who he was. Remember John had said, yeah, I, I didn't even know who he was until I baptized him. And then I saw, heard the voice. And then I saw the dove descend. And I knew that this was the Messiah. This was the appointed Savior. I think it's phenomenal that we who are Christians, we have passed Christmas. We have passed the coming of the Christ. And now we're going to move on with this story in the book of John. We're going to see the amazing things that God is going to do to show his love to a lost and dying man. And I think it's phenomenal. And we know that upon the Son of Man, 
the angels ascend and descend. He is the Bethel, the house of God. He is the one to whom we go. We don't go to a temple or a tabernacle. We don't go to a holy city. Every place is holy when God is the God of that place. Remember, we are not bound to go to a church. We are the church. Inside of us dwells the Holy Spirit. The very presence of God is in every believer. That means God is with you and will not forsake you, will not leave you on your own because you have chosen to put your faith in Him. These three invitations are amazing. The three invitations that God extends to us today through His Scripture to come and to see. Once we have seen, we need to follow Him. Keep that relationship going. And once we keep it going, we need to embrace Him, wrap our arms around Him, cling to Him. The word believe in Greek is pestuo. It means trust in, cling to, rely upon. That's the whole thing. When you put your faith in Jesus, you are to cling to him as if he is a life vest in an open and angry ocean. He is the one that keeps you alive and he has wrapped that life preserver around you. You will never sink. You may get tossed in the waves and if you get away from the life preserver, you may feel the waves a lot more than you would normally. But God will not forsake his people. You have to remember that. No matter what 2024 brings, and I see things on the horizon which are unnerving for me as a man who has studied God's Word for 30 years, I'm a little bit trepidatious about what this next year will bring. But you know what? If the Lord comes, hallelujah. If He doesn't come, amen. No matter what happens, whether He comes this year, next year, five years, ten years, whenever, the Lord deems is the right moment to return to the earth. He will come back and we will be with him forever. Amen. That is how we close out 2024. You may be listening to this in 2020. That's how we close out 2023. You might be listening to this in 2024. It could be January sometime before you come around to this message. But I encourage you, take this new year. Take it in your hands dedicated to the God who loves you, to the God who has empowered you, who has gifted you, has given you life. Take it to the nations. I've said it before. If you are in the United States, use your voice. If you are in a foreign country, whether it be China, India, England, France, Russia, wherever you are, give hope to those who are hopeless. Give peace to those who are afraid. That's what we're called to be. Blessed are the peacemakers, not the ones who bring peace on the earth, but peace between men and God. You see, there will never cease to be war on this earth. This war that we see between human beings will continue until the end. But you know what? The peace that we can give somebody when we reconcile them to a holy God that is an amazing opportunity. It's an amazing privilege to do that as God's chosen people. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine on you. May he bring somebody into your life this year that you can disciple in his name so that he would receive the glory 
for all that we do. God bless you, my friends, and I will see you later in the Wildwood. Hey, thank you for visiting our podcast today. Both Words from the Wildwood and From the Archives are presented to you by our family as an offering to Almighty God in the hope that they will help you grow in your understanding of God's amazing Word. If what you hear has has been a blessing, consider supporting our efforts by sending us your prayers and by letting others know where they can hear us on local podcasts. If you are in the U.S. and you are able to help in any way, shape, or form, please send any support to Richard Stidham, S-T-I-D-H-A-M, P.O. Box 1321, Baytown, Texas 77522. If you are outside the States, God bless you and share Jesus with those that you can. God bless and we'll be back soon.